The bards must drink and junk it. Hello, friends and strangers. Thank you for listening to Tomorrow Tomorrow We Die, a show about the trials and adventures that happen while touring as a working musician, told to you by people who have built their lives or portions of their lives around writing and playing the music that they love. We are your hosts. I'm John Wisniewski. And I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And every episode, we'll bring you an interview with people who are out there day-to-day grinding against the many odds, just hoping not to piss Trent Reznor off. I don't even know Trent Reznor, and I try not to piss him off. Like, he has no idea oh, yeah. who I am. I, just, <laughs> I don't want to piss him off. Uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, he's always seemed like a really nice guy to me. <laughs> Everyone thinks he's like the Dark Lord or whatever, but to uh, me, he just seems like, oh, he's a pretty cool dude. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, yeah. Luckily, our guest uh, shines a little spotlight on that. Uh, yeah, he does. Pretty cool. But real quick, I want to say that uh, this is super exciting. Our friends over at Ruinous have uh-huh. helped us out and gotten us in touch with a new sponsor, yep. Isotope. Yep. They make a lot of really cool plugins. Being the audio nerd that I am, the Isotope suite has been famous for a lot of things, for mastering and for fixing audio, you know, the weird things that happen to audio sometimes. It's very helpful. I've been around audio engineering pretty much my whole life in, you know, in the band world. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things where I kind of think like, oh, yeah, it'd be kind of cool to maybe get into audio engineering, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, sure. and also do the music thing. And I remember one of the first times I went to an actual studio, you're doing your mixing in the band, yeah. you're sort of like playing with the faders and the knobs and stuff. And then you look over on the side of the console and there's yeah. this like block of plugs and cables yeah. <laughs> that looks like a 1940s switchboard. It is based on the same technology yeah. as a switchboard. And it's literally like tens and tens and tens of wires <laughs> that are just like, if you don't know what you're looking at, you're just looking yeah. at like wires and plugs. It looks like this nightmare spaghetti. And, you know, it and is a nightmare. The second I look at that, I realize I will never get into audio engineering. Oh no. (laughs) Some people make video games. Some people know what a patch bay is. That's my job. (laughs) So Isotope though, for any established or aspiring podcasts out there, like Jeff, help us out. How does it help? Does it automatically edit out my ridiculous bubble voice? Oh, (laughs) doesn't make my voice sound any lower or less (laughs) reedy, but it does help with a lot of things that you might not notice. They have different plugins for everything. I mean, I use the RX plugin all the time. You can kind of calm things down and just kind of make the audio a little cleaner. Apparently they have plugins that fix stutters. They have plugins (laughs) that will take away room noise, which I'm completely blown away by. Nice. And they've been at it for decades, and everybody always knows that their mastering plugins are some of the best, and and it's one of those brands that people reach for when they're trying to get shit done, and it helps us get shit done. If you're interested, go to isotope.com slash ruinous. That's I-Z-O-Tope.com slash ruinous. You can use the checkout code RUIN10, R-U-N-1-0 for a 10% discount on their software. Yeah, I might just have to use that discount myself. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) Pick up another (laughs) plug-in. As an audio engineer, one of the things that we talk about, especially with Pro Tools nerds and stuff, is they're like, well, what plugins are you using? And then that conversation bores the hell out of everyone and, you know, your significant other and everybody else leaves the room and the audio engineers just keep talking about names and numbers and stuff. It's pretty fun. People who come to a podcast hoping to hear an interview just hear people talking about their sponsors. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
So um, exciting. So uh, <laughs> I want to do a quick correction on our last episode. So our last episode okay. was uh, Cody Willis. There was one point where I was doing some like mental napkin math about how uh-huh. long he's been touring for. And I think I said he's yeah. been touring for 30 years and everyone was just like, yeah, it sounds about right. It was not 30 years. It's been about 20 years, which is still plenty of years. Still a lot of years. <laughs> but yes, I am bad at the mental math. If I don't have my abacus or I actually prefer multicolored snails slowly crawling <laughs> across a bucket. That's the best way for me to do math. I don't have that. I tend to make errors. Sorry about that. Jeff, did you grab anything on Bandcamp Friday? Uh, You know, I did. I picked up an album by this band, Pharmacist. Oh, yeah. They say that they're grind metal, but really it just sounds like death metal to me. But it's like a one-man band kind of thing. I guess apparently I've done some research and the main dude is like Czech or something and he moved to Japan and it's him and a drummer. And, it, and it's super brutal and it, nice. it makes me really want to do my cyber grind project that has never gotten off the ground. You should absolutely do your CyberGrind project. I know, I need to. I got the BC Rich with the active pickups that tunes down to A, Mm. so I'm basically ready. I'm basically (laughs) ready. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I picked up the new Pig Destroyer EP, which is... Oh, speaking of grind. Excellent. Uh, Yeah. They have not disappointed ever. uh, No, they're so good live, too. They continue with their flawless run. Um, so yeah, if, if anyone doesn't know, Bandcamp Friday is really cool. So there's Bandcamp.com, which is the absolute best place to go to buy uh, music online digitally that supports the musicians the best way possible. Yeah, straight um, to the band the money goes to, or to the label that's also supporting the band. So. Yeah, in response to the uh, pandemic where bands are unable to go out and play and tour and support themselves, Bandcamp, basically the first Friday of every month, they waive all of their fees and give... And that's just so great. Yeah, the only fee they take from the sale is just whatever it costs to just facilitate the sale itself. And so literally like 98% of the sale goes directly to the bands. Mm -hmm. So they've been keeping it up every Friday. What I've been doing is when I find music that I'm excited about, I just go to Bandcamp and I mark it on my wish list and then I wait for Friday and then I just spend a bunch of money that Friday and make sure it all goes to the bands. You know what's cool about Bandcamp? Uh, You know, they really don't take a huge bite either from the artist's point of view. Um, John and I also are artists and we also have our own bands and stuff. I have a Bandcamp for every band I've ever been in and like my two side projects and everything else and every once in a while you're like, cha-ching, I just made $5. And some nice person just like bought your record. And it, it just it just feels so cool, you know, to be part of this like grassroots, even though, you know, if you go to their front page, they're advertising a lot of like, there's some big names going on, but yeah, it doesn't even cost that much. And albums like, you know, usually like seven, eight, nine, ten bucks. Yeah. I can't say enough good shit about Bandcamp and enough bad shit about a lot of other suppliers <laughs> of music. <laughs> but we don't got to get into that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's not blather anymore. Yeah, we already did. That was enough. Today we have Rob Sheridan. He's an old friend of mine from high school who just yeah. fell into an incredible career as an art director for Nine Inch Nails. I shouldn't say that he fell into it. Like he is well, a, he earned he's it. a creative, yeah. talented motherfucker and, and he's absolutely the best person for the job. Yeah. You know, I knew him as a teenager for a little bit and then a couple years after high school, suddenly he's working with Nine Inch Nails and we actually stayed in touch, which, you know, can sometimes be hard if you knew someone who then goes off to some sort of, you know, yeah. notorious lifestyle while you're also in college or figuring your life out. It can be hard to stay in touch. We actually stayed in touch. He's currently not touring or involved with Nine Inch Nails at all. He's been pursuing a variety of pretty cool creative endeavors. Yeah, lots of really cool stuff, actually. Yeah. He recently was the writer and creative director of a comic called High Level, which is a sci-fi series for DC and 
Vertigo. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but you can go yeah. to highlevelcomic.com to check that out. He designs his own line of clothes and accessories and awesome face masks for COVID right now. I bought one for my oh, kid. Oh, yeah, perfect. It's so good. Some of them have uh, classic horror characters on it. There's like a Jason yeah. mask and like sure. Creature from the Black Lagoon, shit like that. Uh, it's called Glitch Goods. It's all available via Threadless. Nice. He does art prints. He does graphic design. Basically, you can go check out everything he does at rob-sheridan.com. It's S-H-E-R-I-D-A-N, rob-sheridan.com. So yeah, we're lucky enough that he took some time to chat with us about his yeah. time touring as the art director and visual production designer for Nine Inch Nails. Little band yeah. called Nine Inch Nails. You may not have heard of them. You may have heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> they, they did some stuff. And yeah, earlier this year, Nine Inch Nails released a free instrumental double album called Ghosts. Yeah. It's creepy. It's gross. It, it's got beautiful parts. It's got soft yes. parts. Kind of chill sometimes. Yeah. You know, not um, too gnarly. No one is getting fucked like an animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's excellent. And that's free. You can just look up download Nine Inch Nails Ghosts. You can just Google that and download it for free. So let's listen to a little bit from that record. Here's a track called Together from Nine Inch Nails. Hello, Rob Sheridan. How's yeah, it going, welcome. man? Nice to Good. see you. How's, how's it going? Greetings from quarantine. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Hello from my pantry. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rob, you're the first guest we've had on the show who is not a musician. Correct. But you have done an extensive amount of touring. Correct. I'm really excited to talk to you about all that uh, because I got to witness what you've done on a tour firsthand and it's pretty incredible awesome first of all we should just talk about our history so like we had a pretty tight friend group in high school times mm -hmm. you know me and a buddy mutual friend blair went to a high school and then another mutual friend eric and you went to a high school together and we kind of all sort of like homogenized i think most people's moms knew each other mm -hmm. and then i met blair and i sort of like rolled into your group we had a pretty pretty tight group in the high school times i have a lot of like fond memories of growing up with this group of like running around at night in camouflage clothing with fireworks like like awful teenager shit right like like lighting off fireworks in the middle of public parks and like throwing dynamite into the street we blew up some outhouses we uh Great. Yes. we we lit a lot of fires and um and played a lot of mario kart but we we didn't go to any parties or do anything cool, you know. Ah, yeah. <laughs> we were just, we were just like rugged, uh, shitty dorks who had a great time. We were. Same as me and my friends. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we preferred sugar in horror movies to like drinking mm. and partying. Yeah. It's right? true. It's true. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we had this this tight group. I like. I just, I remember like playing video games at your house. Like it's my first time playing like a networked multiplayer game. Was when we used uh, our phones to call each other's modems and play yeah. Doom against each other. Yeah. Um, we cool. we used to play Doom Deathmatch over the uh, yeah. over the phone. Uh, from uh-huh. our houses across town, and uh, there's nothing worse than when all of a sudden you're doing great, and all of a sudden everything freezes. And you're like, "Mom, did you pick up the phone?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "Are you kids? You kids still playing those games?" Kids, yeah. kids these days don't understand <laughs> the struggles. <laughs> and that was mostly through high school, and then and then we all kind of went off to college, and then like a couple years later. I heard a rumor about a job you got. <laughs> so what happened to you during college? Yeah, well, I um, I kind of departed the friend group because I, I went to college on the other side of the country. I left to New York mm-hmm. um, to go to school there, and uh, something happened before I even finished my first year of art school, where I uh, I got hired by um, Nine Inch Nails to work on their first um, website uh, back in nine. 19- 1999. Uh, oh, I was so rad. I was just a, a dork who liked to fuck around on the computer and make stuff, and they um, they saw a website that I made, and uh, suddenly I was quitting art school. I I did never finish college. Um, Good for you. <laughs> and, and I was like, uh, hey, you know, hey mom, you know, you know that thing that we uh, worked really hard and saved up for to send me to art school in New York. Yeah, I'm quitting and I'm joining a rock band. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was quite a roller coaster. I was 19 years old and, and my my whole world like went up to 11 very, very quickly. I can imagine. And if my memory serves correctly, this was right after Downward Spiral? Not right after, but after Downward Spiral. It, it was in the time um, in between Downward Spiral and The Fragile. So oh, okay. yeah. when I came on board, they were recording The Fragile which was surreal because at the time like music was going through some changes rock music was going through some changes and yeah and rolling stone was running these like hype stories about like nine inch nails is coming back to save rock you know and there was always <laughs> there was all this pressure on on the band and i went down there and, and like sat down in the studio and i like, heard these like demos of stuff they were working on it was just like blowing my mind it, it all was very like it, it was very surreal and very iconic at the time, um, yeah. especially for where music was and where the music industry was. So it was a very, very cool and weird thing to be a part of. Mm. When I was first hired um, by the band, my role was kind of to be this like excited young fan um, kid who could work on their website and kind of be the in-between from the band and the fans uh, and make the website, you know? So, you know, I was taking photos during the recording process and and figuring out the ways that we were going to use the web, a new thing, you know, that they didn't have a website yet. Um, (laughs) To to use this to like kind of tell some kind of like story uh, about this upcoming highly anticipated record, but do it in this way that, you know, at the time everything was still, very drenched in this 90s mystique. Mm-hmm. Everything was was very heavy-handed with how cryptic it was. Uh, I mean, now if you're a fan of a musician, you wake up and watch their morning shit you yeah. know, live on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, you know, you know, when you're a fan of a band, you'd get 
just tiny little bits of information here and there. Maybe a photo, an occasional interview. A, a trickle. Oh my God, yeah, a trickle, you know? And, yeah, and yeah. you you spent a lot of time filling in the blanks. Uh, there was a lot more mystique back then. And I, I actually don't think there's any right way to do it. It's just the way technology's changed. But back then, every little detail that we would trickle out on the website, fans would, would slobber over, you know? Mm-hmm. So... That was my initial job, was to figure out the best way to make a website for a band that had this huge weight on them of releasing a very highly anticipated album. Yeah. And over the course of that, Trent and I just clicked very well, both personally and creatively. And he started kind of giving me more creative jobs. You know, it started with um, kind of running the website and taking photos and whatever, and then it turned into, hey, Rob, why don't you try coming up with some artwork for this thing? Or why don't you try making a t-shirt for this? Or, And gradually, over the course of the recording of The Fragile, I started moving into becoming the art director for mm. the band. And by the time the record was out and we kicked into gear of um, starting rehearsals and trying to figure out a tour, which was the first tour the band had done uh, since, I think, 96. So yeah. it, it had been a few years. I was very involved in anything visual or presentation or marketing wise of the band, uh, I suddenly had my hand in and uh, it was all new for me. I was 19. I had never done something at this scale before and to do it for like a band that meant so much to me in high school was yeah. just like, I mean, I look back at it now and I'm like, how the fuck did I do that? Actually? <laughs> it's bananas. I'm, I'm old funny. and tired now. That seems <laughs> so overwhelming. Well, and then, so then, then, do that now, I'm like, no, no, God, no! I have to go to bed at eight. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is one of my. It is one of my personal favorite parts about your story is that you were such a fan of the band. Yeah, and you got to work for them. That's why, like, like when I said earlier, like when I heard a rumor that you got a job, when somebody said Rob is working for Nine Inch Nails, I was like, <laughs> my response was. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> no Stop way. fucking with me. You weren't were the only one who had that response. Because, <laughs> I mean, I really was. I was a, I was a dweeb uh, in the online, like, Nine Inch Nails fan community. I had a fan site. That's how they found me. And, and I was very much a part of that community. So, you know, in that way, I was the right person to become the guy who would end up guiding the fan experience and, and running the website. And, and I knew the band, I knew the history, I, I knew how to communicate with the fans, and, uh-huh. and that was very valuable for them. But it turned out that Trent liked my uh, creative chops as well, and, and before I knew it, I was making everything visual that came out for the band, from the um, album covers to the live tour production visuals. Like, your styles just meshed somehow, apparently, like... That must just be crazy from your point of view. It was crazy. And a lot of it had to do with just, um, turned out we were similar types of people in, yeah. in a lot of different ways. And when I went down for my first interview for the job when I was still in college, we ended up bonding over how much we like to play Quake. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and like... Nerds will stuff. be nerds. <laughs> yeah, and it just, it turned out we were both like nerds who were, who were creative people. Yeah. And it's, you know, sometimes when someone is creative with music and someone's creative with visuals and they both have the same kind of mindset and nerd sensibilities. It really creates a, a sync, you yeah. know, that, that, that ended up working well for, man, I mean, it was 15 years I ended up doing the job. That's quite yeah. a career there. That's incredible. Art direction for Nine Inch Nails. I mean, that's not many people put that on a resume. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. 
Um, not, not many people get to put art director for a band on their resume at all because most uh, bands don't have a full-time art director. And, yeah. And that was kind of a testament to how important the visuals and the presentation of the music were to Trent, especially in, in the live shows. So um, he kept a full-time art director on staff to make sure that everything we were putting out there and all the projects we were doing had a consistency and a visual theme and tied in with the music. And, and I think um, a lot of what people really loved about Nine Inch Nails and, and something that you don't see very often now is just commitment to this constant presentation of yeah. everything. Really, really careful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything was planned out very, very particular, and, and the visuals always synced up with what the ideas were behind yeah. the music. Mm-hmm. And I think to underscore what you're talking about, too, I saw Nine Inch Nails on the last tour that you did their visuals for. And at that show, Trent gave you a shout out from the stage. You know, he <laughs> said, we have a, a fifth member of the band. He's not on stage right now, but it's Rob Sheridan. He's done all the visuals for the show. So <laughs> that's that, sick. That really, that really underscores. That was the last show I, uh, that was the last was. show I worked on with them. And yep. it was here. It was uh, yep. here in uh, Tacoma. White River Amphitheater. Yeah, White River. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. that that was cool. A lot of people called me the fifth Beatle of the band. (laughs) (laughs) So for the people who don't know, I think Nine Inch Nails is, I mean, highly celebrated for a lot of reasons, but I'm going to blow some smoke up your ass right now, Rob. Oh, boy. Here it comes. I think Nine Nine Inch Nails is well known for an incredible visual production at their live shows. Yeah, their shows Um, are are well known for that. I mean, when I saw what you did at that show, it was fucking amazing. Like, it's literally fucking amazing. Like, you do really good work. I would love for you to talk about that for a little bit. What (laughs) does it take to, like, (laughs) think about it? What does it take? I'm relatively good at, like, deconstructing something. Like, when I see something, I can sort of, like, pick it apart in my brain and think about all the little parts that go into it. And when I think about the job that you have with putting on a, a visual production of, of that level, I have a hard time like thinking about the individual pieces that go into it. Like, mm-hmm. what do you, where do you start? Mm-hmm. And what do you, like, what are you thinking about? Um, what kind of programs do you use? Yeah. Do you rehearse it? Like, well, the, tell, me, uh... <laughs> tell me about how it works, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, the most important thing here is that I am not the single brain behind yeah. uh, all of it. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have an incredible team that we, put together at the beginning of each tour. And we were refining that team for 15 years, you know, starting with a team that we had inherited from before my time when Trump uh-huh. was doing uh, the Downward Spiral tour, which was already a, a very amazing tour visually for mm-hmm. for the time. And he had um, been working with a lighting director named Roy Bennett, who is a, a pretty legendary, huge guy, does Paul uh-huh. McCartney and award shows and like uh, mm-hmm. big, big stuff like that. He's very, very good uh, at what he does. And he's the guy you know, we would work with for quite a while. And then we started working with other similar types of um, lighting directors. But that's kind of the beginning of the team. We, we, we bring on someone who we can sit down with and say, initially, like, here's what the idea is for this tour conceptually. Here's the album that it represents. Here are the themes behind it. Here's the artwork. Mm-hmm. usually that I made. And in a lot of those cases, like the lighting director will be like, okay, here's some new technology that we have. You know, here's these new types of screens that we can yeah. do. And what if we did something like this? But it always just starts with um, me and Trent and um, usually someone like the lighting director at the very beginning in a room just 
sketching things out and talking about what the ideas are behind the show conceptually. And in the case of that last one that you saw, the one with the moving panels where the stage mm-hmm. kind of built itself over the course of it. Yeah. I, I won't even try to get into describing it over a podcast, but if you look <laughs> up uh, if you look up Nine Inch Nails 2013, 2014, you, it, you'll see a lot of videos of it. But Trent had the idea, and, and all of it was evolutionary. So like sometimes on one tour, we'd try and experiment. Like one time Trent was like, we were doing this outdoor shed tour um, mm-hmm. And he was like, what if, like, when everyone's, like, still setting up in between the bands, you know, and, and the audience is waiting for Nine Nails to come out, and they're expecting some big bombastic thing, yeah. and, and the techs are still moving shit around on stage and doing sound check and plugging things in, and all the overhead lights are on. He's like, what if I just fucking walked out with all the lights on and just started playing, and there was no fanfare, and everyone was just shocked. Oh, yeah. And that's how it started. <laughs> And we tried that one time, and it was fucking cool. Yeah, it, it, it weirded everyone out. And he and Trent just came out while the techs were still on stage and started playing a guitar riff uh, of one of the songs that opened the set, and it was surreal. We referenced that later when we were sitting down meeting, trying to figure out how to put together the next tour production. He was like, "What if we use that as like a starting point and like did it like Talking Heads stop making sense yeah. style where." Yeah. The whole show builds in, in a way, and we and we physically build it up. Because one of the things that we constantly talked about and referenced was the dramatic flow of a show. We mm-hmm. we never wanted people to get to that point. Trent called it the time to go get another beer part oh, of the yeah. show. Been you know there. where they're <laughs> you know where they, you're playing a song from the new album that nobody yeah. knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're like, eight songs into the set, and someone's like, yeah. you know, what? this is probably a good time to go pee. I'm gonna buy you a know? twenty dollar beer. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, we always wanted to avoid the time to get another beer part of the show. And one of the ways we thought about doing that was constructing things more like a stage production or a play um, mm-hmm. where there were, where there were three acts and there was a narrative flow of it. And so, you know, that evolution of an idea that was kind of inspired by experiments, inspired by talking heads and whatever that created our, our I think our most dramatic evolution of a show. It, it really all starts with, with, napkin sketches and concepts and then we start to look at okay who are the right people to bring in on this team yeah in that case we brought in a choreographer for the first time ever because part of the idea especially inspired by talking heads yeah. in stop making sense you can see the actual stage hands on the show yeah i wanted to do that mm-hmm. so we brought a um, a theater guy who's a choreographer on board and we had models set up in desks in the, in the back rooms of rehearsals with little wood pieces that represented all those moving parts of the stage and strings attached to them because we had to think about the chords because they were all like light up screens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And our choreographer would, would sit there and we'd be, okay, how do we get this particular orientation of the screens into this one in between songs. You have to do it like this because the chords can't overlap. And I mean, it, it was meticulous. It, it was long and meticulous. And there were times when we wanted to kill ourselves, like, <laughs> having not slept for, for many days yeah. uh, leading up to the first show and feeling like, oh God, we've got a show coming up and this is a fucking mess, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so it was one of the most intense processes of my career for sure. Yeah. What did you do when shit went wrong on tour? Because, I mean, shit always goes wrong. You know, with a production of that level, 
or was it just flawless every night? It was absolutely not flawless every <laughs> night. The worst thing was the beginning of the tour because we were always, always like literally up to the last very second trying to fix things and trying to finish things and trying to make sense of, of what the production was going to be. Yeah. And the first show was almost always a nightmare. <laughs> but, <laughs> that poor <part> town. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because like, I, you know, We'd start the tour, and I had kind of this like double-edged sword where I put so much work into making the show um, what it was, but during the shows, like once once we started touring, I wasn't doing anything active on the crew level. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't the guy pushing the buttons. You know, I wasn't the lighting guy or the guy running the video. I just made the stuff, and, and a lot of what I did, especially at the beginning of the tour, was watching the show and taking notes uh-huh. and, and evolving it you know i'd be back in my hotel room immediately after like changing video content and stuff like that but during the show it was terrifying because on one <laughs> hand it's like i'm kind of glad it's not my fault yeah something fucked up <laughs> but on the other hand i have no controls i'm sitting there just like biting my fingers going, oh my god oh my god oh my god the video didn't turn on oh uh. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know so that was kind of strange. And there were many, many things that went wrong. Although, you know, sometimes the curse of being the guy who knows better than anyone how it's supposed to look is like, you know, I'd have friends come out to a show and something fucked up. And I'd be like, oh, dude, man, that, you know, that song was supposed to look like this. And it, oh, that screen didn't come down in time. And they're like, what are you talking about, dude? That looked red. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? They don't know. They don't know. <laughs> you get so deep inside your own creation that you forget that all the people in the audience don't know what it's supposed yeah. to look like. And that, and that covered our ass a few times. That is absolutely true. And at the same time, I think without that attitude, you don't get to make great things, yeah. right? Yeah, for like sure. That's how you make a great production or great art or like a great movie is having that really, really high quality bar, yeah. knowing what it takes to go to that quality bar and not punishing yourself, but taking it fucking seriously yeah. when it doesn't hit that bar for you, even though... Yeah. Most yeah. people won't even notice it, right? Yeah. That last 10, 12% of polish is probably only perceptible to a very small group of people. But yeah. the fact that you're going for it is it just sort of sets the tone for the entire production, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And Trent's one of the most detail-oriented uh, people I've ever worked with. And I think he liked about me that I'm very detail-oriented when it comes to work as well. And the other thing is that the, the kind of like hardcore Nine Schnells fan base is extremely detail oriented as yeah. well. It, it, kind of, it kind of attracts a similar group of like Certainly does. nerds. Yeah. Who, you know, like we're all we're all fucking nerds. It's really. not surprising, you know, like, dude. Not and surprising. they're all analyzing every fucking detail all the time. And that keeps us on our toes as well, you know. <laughs> so it's a like minded community of incredibly high stress situations. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, when something fucks up on stage, it doesn't really matter whose fault it was or, if, you know, as Trent used to say, who kicked the fucking plug out, when, you know, yeah. when the lights don't go on at the right time. Yeah. But he's the one who's up there having to, you know, stand there with his dick out yeah. looking like an idiot, you know, when there's supposed to be a spotlight <laughs> yeah. and there isn't, or when there's supposed to be a guitar sound and there isn't. So it was only understandable that there'd be a lot of fucking rage when things didn't work and it kept everyone on their toes of like making sure that we just kept elevating the quality of the production all the time as much as we yeah. could. Yeah. So you said a thing that I kind of want to talk about, something along the lines of crazy Nine Inch Nails fans. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I have to imagine that you have had 
a number of encounters with rabid Nine Inch Nails fans. I have. <laughs> so you, you've been on tour with Nine Inch Nails a bunch, I'm assuming, right? But do they know who yeah. who you are per se, or how does that work? They know me very well. They, they know Excellent. exactly who I am. That's what I wanted to hear. First, they knew me uh, um, because I was the kind of um, the fan ambassador. You know, I, I was the voice on the website, yeah. you know, that was, that was there entrenched in the band and, and communicating and, and running the website. And then they got to know me as the guy making the visuals and, mm-hmm. and kind of Trent's right-hand man when it came to um, anything uh, art-wise with the band. Yeah. So they got to know me very well. I, I, there, was, there wasn't much hiding. Nice. Okay, that's, that's what <laughs> I wanted to hear because I wasn't there and neither were our listeners. So I just wanted to... You know, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll say first of all that it's a very passionate fan base, mm-hmm. <laughs> very passionate, very intense. Uh, but 95% of the time, it's just they've been like they're really great people, yeah. and so many of them have stuck with me post my Danish Nails career and, and are mm-hmm. still following my work now nice. and we have a, we have a great fan community and you know we've all kind of grown up together too you know there yeah a lot of those people who were there back in the time when I started working and, and they're along the way are middle-aged now like me yeah. they're kids they're adults and they're following my work still and, and they're supporting me and it's and it's fucking awesome Dope. but <laughs> that that level of intensity and passion means there's always going to be some real fucking crazy ones and i think it you know if you want to know about that the ones that stick out are from way back in that time period mm-hmm. when i first started working for them between Downward Spiral and uh, and the Fragile in the nineties, mm-hmm. you know, when when internet wasn't what it is now, and a lot of people had had created a lot of uh, I guess I'd call it fan fiction in their head about who, who Trent was, you know, because <laughs> uh-huh. because you don't really you don't really see that much, uh, you know, of someone, and and whatever you see, you know, if you see an interview in a photo shoot in Rolling Stone magazine in those days it's very carefully composed, you know, it's designed to echo the image yeah. of, of the artists and of the band. Right. Yeah. And when you have a kind of dark band like Nine Inch Nails um, with that level of intensity, there were those people out there who really thought that like Trent was this guy who sleeps in a coffin and is <laughs> constantly brooding, you know, yeah. <laughs> I've met so many people over the years, everyone from Marilyn Manson to, David Lynch, to sure. people in, in the worlds of metal and horror and whatever. And no one is ever like that. No. You know, no. the greatest artists are not like that. They usually Even the darkest, and... weirdest people, there's, you know, you still have to have a full range of humanity yeah. to be an artist. Mm-hmm. And just because you express the dark parts of yourself in your art doesn't mean that you're not still the guy who likes to laugh sometimes. Oh, yeah. Dancing takes out his trash. You know what I mean? That's just, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, you know, the, you, you're a human, right? So, you know, some of my first experiences with that were um, when Trent had a studio in New Orleans where so I first started working with him, and it was in a converted um, morgue. Oh, that's not dark <laughs> at all. <laughs> No. So, yeah, so there were all these so stories erasing, about it. Erasing everything you just said. I know. About the he just, Lord. I know, I know. He just said it. <laughs> no, it, it was still, you know, it was still in this, like, 90s. It was in a converted morgue, and he had brought the, uh, he had been recording prior to moving to New Orleans in a house in L.A. that was the Sharon Tate house with the Manson. Oh, no, uh-huh. yes. Uh-huh. And, and, he, and he kept the 
door from that place, which had the word pig written in blood on it previously. And, huh. and I kept the door and installed it at the morgue studio in oh, New Orleans. Man. I mean, <laughs> in a good way. I mean, I mean you know, it's, so it's, you can imagine the stories and the mythology that yeah. was going around about the guy. You know, they thought he was this, this like, and it, a lot has changed in terms of how you see and, and understand an artist yeah. uh, over the past 20 years. So I think, you know, people get it that he's like a human being now. Um, but back then there were a lot of people who really thought he was this like fucking vampire. So <laughs> you'd have these people because they knew where the studio was in New Orleans. So you'd have these fans who would make pilgrimages there and they'd show up and bring like, you know, love letters written to him in blood and shit like that and leave it at the door. Cool. And they'd come and stand some of them would come and stand outside the door, and it's New Orleans in August. It's a hundred million degrees. Perfect and it's, weather. <laughs> and it's, it's a tr- trillion percent humidity. Yeah. It's just miserable. It's just you walk outside for two seconds, and your balls are drenched with sweat. Yeah. It sucks. But they feel like they have to come in like eighteen layers of black. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Fully decked out, like Dude, straight from the goth club. They're making their sojourn to see the Dark Prince. I mean, they gotta be in their best. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they and, and they expected like he'd be like, "Why are my minions wearing a t-shirt and shorts?" <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we, we had these one-way windows that were <laughs> that were blacked out on the outside, and Trent literally standing on the other side of the windows, two feet away from these people in cargo shorts. <laughs> And a T-shirt, <laughs> being like, "Good God, they must be so hot out there." And, the, and they're like saying prayers to Lucifer out yeah. the windows, and just sweating their asses off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that was a fun thing to like experience both sides of because um, I was never, for one second, um, I never found myself in a place with most of the like, great artists that I met, thinking, "Oh, this guy's a total fake." They're all sincere and everything, you know, as you both know, as musicians, you know, there's a lot of things that you bring to your art and express on stage and what you say and what your art is that are parts of yourself that are really real. And it doesn't mean that there aren't other parts of yourself that you leave out of your art. Yeah, it's not the end all be all of like your stage presence is not the end all be all of who you are as a human being. It's a put on, you know, it doesn't mean mean you're fake. You know, you're no, you're channeling the parts of yourself that are your art, and I think um, I think people in this day and age realize that a lot more than they did back then because of the amount of access people have with artists, and I, I think they understand that. Yeah. But back then, there there was a certain amount of thinking that to be a, a dark goth artist, you had to be like constantly hanging out in spider-filled basements and shit, you know? <laughs> just like crying and punching walls all the time. <laughs> Uh, I love it. <laughs> I mean, that's where I am right now. I'm in what? a dark. Well, it's all come full circle. I guess, that's where my know? studio is. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> hey, let's take a break and uh, listen to another track from Nine Inch Nails' free album "Ghosts." This one's called "Trust Fades."
So what's it like touring with Nine Inch Nails? And before you answer, I want to make a presumption, and I shall now declare it. <laughs> I would assume that touring at the level of Nine Inch Nails, there's a lot of effort happening at many uh, in many different facets to make sure that things are uh, comfortable and convenient, because that's the type of travel that can be afforded for something at that level that's happening, you know, for a certain duration of time. And then I would then go on to assume that with all that effort going into making things convenient and comfortable, certain other things become extremely inconvenient and very uncomfortable due to that effort. True or false? I think that's a, I think that's a fairly accurate assessment. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> I didn't have the entrance into touring that, uh, that I know you did, John, mm -hmm. where it's like, <laughs> You got some boys together in high school and you got to figure out how to get in a van and you're all stinky and you, mm -hmm. someone's got to drive yeah. for 15 hours and you, you're staying on. Yep. Kimbo, you guys stayed at my apartment once in New York. Oh, we're doing that story. We yeah. are doing that story. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was a kid. All this was new to me, but I jumped in at the time when Nine Inch Nails was a big enough band that our band rehearsals for the first tour that I was ever involved in were in the Bahamas and we all got our own apartment on the beach. So, <laughs> no, I'm not, not kidding. We literally, we literally lived in the Bahamas for a <laughs> that month is working on the rehearsal studio oh, there. I love it. Oh, so beautiful. So also not goth at all. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I didn't ha I didn't really come up in a, in a normal way with touring. I kind of jumped right into this like five star oh, <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah. But it was also very mm -hmm. disorienting because I was also working with um with everyone being older than me and seasoned tour people. Right. And right. I was learning everything along the way. And of course I was the naive kid. So I was, I was also the most like kind of gung ho because I was just so excited about everything. So I was mm -hmm. the, the butt of many mm -hmm. jokes. Um, many pranks were pulled on me. I was the kid who was <laughs> okay. like, Hey, eat this weird thing. Sheridan, do it here. You know, <laughs> people would be throwing down money on the table to be like, drink this weird stuff or whatever it was. Yeah. So I, I ingested a lot of strange things, ate a lot of bugs took a lot of mystery shots of whatever <laughs> in the kind of earlier days especially when i was kind of the, the young new guy guinea pig um it seemed like it was just a constant stream of pranks there were always you know what tours like you know yeah. it becomes like a, a, a frat house on wheels sometimes it's just like absolutely just it yeah. just smelly disgusting musicians uh, just entertaining <laughs> themselves in the in the dumbest ways possible you gotta have fun at Georgia or you'll go insane you, you really will it, it is harder than a lot of people think yeah. even in its most luxurious uh, conditions oh, yeah. it's a lot to to constantly be traveling sometimes in a different country every day and it's the levity that keeps everyone going so there were many many pranks I remember one in particular. <laughs> <laughs> where we had some really, really fun bus drivers. Um, and <laughs> some of them had a sense of humor to be pranked. And um, one time someone someone had this idea of, because the, the bus driver had a door to his cab that, that could slide shut and close him off because we we're, were in the back, you know, listening to music uh -huh. and playing video games and, and being loud. And, and he would just kind of have his own little vibe up there in the front. And... I don't know how it started, but that somehow an idea developed that we were going to get a a funnel 
and some PVC tubing <laughs> and, a, and a hair dryer uh-huh. and, and start farting into it to blow all the fart air underneath the door, mm-hmm. the closed door, into his cab and see how long it yeah. took for him to notice. <laughs> and how long was that? So we made it. We made him unwittingly complicit in it by asking him specifically to to, to stop off the highway on a long drive and stop at Taco Bell so we could get. Oh yeah, you got to get that going. <laughs> and make sure you had a loaded magazine. Yeah. And, and we also asked to stop at the hardware store for reasons we did not explain. Yeah, we're just mm-hmm. to get the PVC tubing and and the funnel and um after a little while of great success finally because he had a you know, while he was driving he had a button he could push that would open the door and finally the door was like the fuck are you guys doing back there <laughs> one after another <laughs> yeah to a turn, contributing to the to the smell Time period, you, you had a hairdryer pushing the fart smell. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the, yeah. the idea of the hairdryer was you fart and then you yeah. use the hairdryer oh. to project the oh, air. No, I get fire. it. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> genius because otherwise it's just it's just your butt power that's going to push it through, and that's not going to yeah, work. It's not enough. It's not because it was a long tube. You had to go all the way to the door. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. had to, you had to have some propulsion yeah. there. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> to me, the to me the funnel is the most like comedic yeah. ingredient there. Because you can well, see it. You, you, gotta, you gotta make sure it's gonna get in there. Yeah. You, know? you, you can't. can't, can't this shit. There were sketches, and we were fucking Leonardo da Vinci. This was not. This didn't just. This wasn't a random idea. This was multiple days yeah. of thinking about it. <laughs> it's very well conceived. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> had to get creative. Another one I remember was, you know, the, like the the time people are the most vulnerable is at the end of a show, and, and everyone's had a long day. We pulled off another show, uh, and there's a whole overnight drive awaiting us, and everyone's mm-hmm. fucking tired. Everyone yeah. just wants to go to their bunk and relax. And we had this bus that had these little DVD players in each bunk, mm-hmm. that, like fold down to the ceiling, you know, yeah. like um, like one of those ones you see in cars for kids, or whatever. We had a guy who was on tour with us who just was like in such a bad mood, and he's like, "Going to my fucking bunk. I'm gonna watch a movie. Go to sleep. Fuck, man. I've been waiting for this all day." And we we had figured out that the remotes for the DVD players are the same. Oh no, a bad design. (laughs) (laughs) We just started randomly rewinding it a little bit here and there. (laughs) <laughs> and he just eventually just started screaming because he couldn't figure out what was going on. But the best prank I've ever pulled, I did a thread about this on Twitter a while back because I had oh, never confessed, yes. confessed to it. I was going to ask you to tell the story, actually. I'm okay. so glad you're going into this because I read that thread and it was great. So, yeah. I had ahead. never confessed to it for years until, uh, you know, last year or whatever when I said it on Twitter because I'm now safely far away from the victim. <laughs> <laughs> We were in uh, production rehearsals for a tour, and production rehearsals are fucking stressful. Everyone's on edge. Everyone's working long hours. It's hard. And our tour man, you know, tour managers get like they make everything happen, and they and they rarely get rewarded, and they more often get blamed. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, but they, they do so much fucking work to make everything happen, make everyone comfortable. And we had a fantastic tour manager, this guy Jerome. He's a great dude, but he. He had a fucking temper. <laughs> and 
We would fuck with him a lot because it was funny because he would get mad. He had an office set up in production rehearsals and I discovered this thing from a, a website called Think Geek mm-hmm. that doesn't exist anymore. Okay. In Kong. <laughs> they had just weird gadgets and, and funny nerd stuff. And they had one of the most incredible things. I've One of the best inventions ever. It was called the Annoyatron. <laughs> and the Annoyatron... The Annoyatron was designed for office pranks, but um, I've never worked in a true office, (laughs) so we don't get those opportunities very often. But during production rehearsals, it's kind of the closest thing to an office environment we have because all the production side of things has to have their office running every day to to be playing the tour and stuff. So this thing, the Annoyatron, is a very small device that, that looks like a microchip. And all it does is when you turn it on, it emits a really loud electronic beep. (laughs) <laughs> like that mm-hmm. <laughs> really shitty like really shitty like smoke detector level yeah, sure. just, like horrible mm-hmm. you know but it does it and this is the real genius of it it does it at random intervals it has to so you mm-hmm. can't predict when yeah. it's going to happen again <laughs> it's got an adhesive on the underside of it so you stick it on the underside of like a desk or something and the way that the sound echoes you cannot fucking figure out where it's coming from if you're in a room. <laughs> and you can't try to build a strategy around trying to locate yeah. it because you don't know yeah. when the next beep is coming, yeah. right? So we just thought it would be funny to put one under our tour manager's desk. Actually, we we, we planned it. You know, we, we came up with a reason where Trent needed it for something and like Trent lured him out of the room and then I ran in and stuck this thing underneath his desk and activated it. And we just thought it would be funny for a minute, but back into his office he started to go fucking insane (laughs) and he started to get so mad and so obsessed that he he couldn't figure out what it was so he started to unplug every electronic printers computers all this stuff and then started moving all of the electronics the furniture out of the room (laughs) he he moved everything out of the room he had plugged everything He totally dismantled the entire <laughs> office and he's in there screaming. And he was finally standing on the last piece of furniture left, his desk, uh-huh. yeah. which is where it was. And he's standing on it with a broom poking holes in, in the ceiling tiles, trying to see if there's something up there. And, and we're panicking. They go, oh, shit, this is going too far. Yeah. This is going way too far. This is fucking losing his mind. And finally, we had to be like, okay, we need to come up with some kind of emergency on stage or something to, like, get him out of his room for a minute. Yeah. And and we lured him out of his room, and I ran in and just grabbed the thing. And when he went back, suddenly it was fine. And he never knew who did it oh, or, what, or what it was because we were afraid of his, re- you know, the tour yeah. manager controls yeah. a lot of things. <laughs> you know, he, he can put you in a, in a really... <laughs> bad situation so we never told him and i, I finally copped to it a couple of years ago but it was that serious <laughs> that no one would dare <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing i love it hilarious you had mentioned earlier that akimbo stayed at your house mm-hmm. once on tour and i was excited to tell yeah. that story so basically that was on our very first it was early in our tour career that was our first time touring the whole U.S. It was our first time Mm -hmm. playing in New York. You had an apartment in Brooklyn, and at that time in the band, I played bass, and then our friend Burke, who Rob knows more as Jared, played guitar. And Jared, funny enough, also knew Rob as a kid. Jared and I have known each other since birth. What? Our mothers were college (laughs) friends. So somehow... 
I had two childhood friends in Akimbo. Oh my god! Totally unrelated. Like yeah. I, it was just a random coincidence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like we just met each other just from playing music together, like in the Seattle scene. And then Burke was the kind of guy who could just join your band at a whim. Yeah, such a good guitar player. We had a guitar player quit, and we had a tour coming up in like a month we're like we need a guitar player i guess we'll call burke because he can <laughs> do it that's how he rolls and then he ended up joining the band for real it so. blew my mind when i found out that both of you guys from completely different parts of my childhood <laughs> were together in a band and he needed to crash in brooklyn <laughs> i know i know and and, uh, and john and uh, john and jared and i uh, recently had dinner at john's house it was very nice wow that's so sweet yep had the friends over for dinner yeah. and then nat actually too nat used to hang with us in the high school times too like he used to come over to your house and play video games and stuff too so that's right there was a third guy to come over that we hung out with <laughs> when we were yeah. growing up so it's a family band to me yeah yeah so we're playing new york and i can't remember how far in advance we contacted you but i mean you had been working for nine inch nails for a while at this point and honestly none of us knew we're like would would Rob <laughs> hang out with us anymore? Like, <laughs> are we cool still? I don't know. But one of us got in touch with you, and you were just like, "Yeah, fucking, of course, of course, you're gonna nice. stay with me." Here's my address in Brooklyn. <laughs> and so we're like, cool. So we play our show in New York. I don't remember where we played, and then we played in like. We- the weirdest, like, like Lower East Side basement venue that I've ever been to, <laughs> but it was cool. Oh, it was... That was probably ABC No Rio. Oh, yeah, I think really? it was a matinee show at ABC No Rio. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. I haven't been there before. And so you came to the show, and then you, you went home. I don't remember what we did. We did something around town, and then we headed out to Rob's house. And it's night at this point. I remember... Um, and, and I didn't... I, I wasn't living in a house, to be clear. It was just a... It was, yes. It was a fairly yeah, small that's one. How, that's what I assumed, but, actually. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There weren't, there weren't like yeah, guest no, rooms no. or anything like that, you know? They, yeah. They were going to sleep on the floor. <laughs> Again, this is back in the time before the internet and GPS on everyone's phone. So we had handwritten directions for how to get there. And the first thing we needed to do was find a bridge. <laughs> um, and I, I specifically remember this, and it's such a New York experience. When you don't live in New York growing up, but you hear all these stories about how wonderful New York is. And like, you know, one of my favorite movies as a kid is the Ghostbusters. And, yeah. and they're all saying like, yeah, the Ghostbusters is a New York movie about what it's like mm-hmm. to be a new yorker right i love this town you don't know what that is you don't know what any of that shit is mm-hmm. but so our first time in new york we have this experience where we just need to find a bridge and we're sitting in the van we're like ah, the directions say a thing but mm-hmm. i don't see the street to go on what do we do let's just ask somebody so we roll down the window <laughs> we ask a passerby and it's this one guy standing by himself we're like hey how do you get yeah. to this bridge i don't even remember what bridge it, bridge it was how do you get to this bridge and he's like oh well hmm you could go this way and he gives us like one thing and he, he's like or maybe you know traffic might be bad you could go this way and he's like you guys in a band and we're like yeah yeah we're in a band we just played we're trying to get to our friend's house he's like oh cool cool and so he's just like has this like really friendly conversation with us at the same time he's like you know going over it like yeah how we might best get to this bridge and then this other group of people walks by and goes hey these guys are trying to get to this bridge i thought they might go this way <laughs> or maybe we could send them over this way and then these people they're like a couple and they're like oh no 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 you want to go this way and then everyone starts giving us all these different directions to the bridge these people on the street never yeah. met each other start talking smiling laughing they're hanging out with each other <laughs> and we're just sitting there watching like, like whoa what the fuck um and then they eventually reach consensus and give us directions to the bridge and then they all walk off together and i'm like (laughs) 
that's the most fucking wholesome that's urban bullshit I've right ever seen in my life. <laughs> Growing up, you know, uh, living very, very far away from New York and, and seeing only what you saw from the movies and thinking it was this like bad place full of violence and drugs and whatever. And uh, I found being there like, to be one of the smallest big cities yeah. uh, I've yeah. ever been to. You know, I would run into people that I, that I didn't even realize were there in, in neighborhoods just on the street. And there was a, a lot of community of people just being out all the time in the streets and at parks and at bars and restaurants. It's one of the most, like, yeah. social cities uh, I've ever lived in. Totally. It really is a great town. I, I mean, it's changed a lot now since then. It's almost unaffordable to exist there, but... <laughs> Speaking of how much it's changed, anyone who's been to Brooklyn these days knows what it's like. Back in 2002, the neighborhood that we were going to, that you lived in, Rob, mm-hmm. was not no, not fancy not, at all. Not back then. No, no. It, you know your neighborhood is serious when it has a slogan. <laughs> if the neighborhood is bedside, the slogan is bedside. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A. And the Taco Bell around the corner from my apartment had um, double bulletproof glass, like, yeah. a, like a bank, where you know mm-hmm. you'd submit your money oh, and yeah, close the door, and you know each person <laughs> close the door, and then they sub- send your yeah. taco through it. So it, it was not fucking around. It was not a good neighborhood at this time. Yeah. So we we get to the bridge. We leave our our wholesome like Manhattan <laughs> friends on the corner. We drive. We get to the bridge. We're following the directions. We find ourselves in Brooklyn, and it's like slowly getting sketchier and sketchier. <laughs> and keep in mind, we're three dudes from Seattle. I think we're maybe all just twenty. You guys are not like, like are really babies. from the city of we're Seattle. We're fucking though. kids. Y'all are from <laughs> yeah. the suburbs. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're, we're Let's just be honest, burbs, man. <laughs> yeah, like we are so soft. We're mm-hmm. so fucking soft. We're driving in this neighborhood, and there are two images I will never forget. Well, three actually. We're going around a corner, and we go by this car, and it's just been burned out. <laughs> like it's been set on fire, and it's a, it's like something you see. Yeah. From a war movie, you know, it's just like a burned Black Hawk down. car chassis <laughs> on the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then go a couple more blocks and these are like small brooklyn neighborhood blocks where it's just these like city blocks one lane each yeah. way cars jammed on the sides like abandoned lots with like broken chain link fences <laughs> and just like shrubs in the inside and then like apartment buildings that just like look like bricks and boards it is gnarly and then we go a couple more blocks and we see like the most cliche fucking thing you could ever see in a neighborhood like like this, which is no, an oil no. barrel with sticks I was on fire you. And, and fucking no fucking hobos like hanging out, having a conversation, like drinking like like booze out of paper bags. So you've really seen that? Because I thought that was just an eighties trope, dude. I didn't realize fucking that it actually happened. And then, and then but, like, wait, the, the worst thing. That I encountered, well, no, I encountered a lot of things um, in that neighborhood, but one of the, like, comedically worst things is there was, like, a section of the street that I had to walk to from um, school to my apartment where you had to make sure you moved to the other side of the street because people in this one specific apartment complex would just throw their dirty diapers out the windows. <laughs> like, 20 stories up, just because they just didn't want to deal with it, you know? And they'd throw them out, you, you, like, you could be hit by a Definitely across the street. It was a neighborhood, sure. So a couple more blocks up, we're driving, and this is the one that like like the other two were like, Oh shit, we're not in Seattle anymore. (laughs) And this is the one where I was like, Oh fuck. Like this is yeah, this is different. We're driving the van and 
coming against us in the other direction of traffic is a young kid on a motorcycle like a dirt bike style like like racer motorcycle with like the it's got like the thin chassis and like the stubby wheels with the the yeah. big fucking treads on it and he's dragging a fucking baseball bat on the pavement <laughs> behind him with that baseball bat attached to <laughs> I, I don't know and it's like straight out of double dragon or something like that and he's driving slow and he's got his hoodie down over his eyes and he's looking fucking mean and he slow drove past us and I think Burke was driving out he just iced Burke so hard just like eye contact like you white boy motherfuckers what are you doing here <laughs> we're just like holy yeah. fuck where's Rob live oh my god <laughs> <laughs> look look rent prices were high it was a hardening experience living living in that apartment for a couple of years but i'm sure and then we we got to your apartment your apartment was great it's like you know it's a teeny tiny version of rob's house it was like crammed with video games and cds and shit and posters and it's like ah this is nice and so here's the thing that bands do on tour when you're staying in a neighborhood like this usually you park your van, yeah. you lock it up, you bring in like your bag and your sleeping bag and your pillow. When you stay at a place like this where you get really sketched out. Someone sleeps in the van. Either someone sleeps in the van or you just bring in yeah. all your oh, shit. All your gear. Like you just yeah. bring it all into the house. Yeah. So I remember. Two choices. Yeah, we go up the stairs to Rob's apartment and we've all got like our guitars. I think Burke brought his amps in because we were just assuming that our van would get fucked with that night. Yeah. And it didn't, thankfully. And then so that night, Rob, was your birthday. What? Oh, shit. I forgot about that. It was your birthday <laughs> and you wanted to go party. That's right. We got to your place and we're fucking exhausted. As you know now, you know, from being on tour like at the end of the day you're fucking done yeah and we had just gotten to your apartment i forgot it was my birthday but even even regardless of like, my fucking buddies are here fuck yeah, yeah. Let's, go, let's go hang out <laughs> look i know some great bars <laughs> yeah you wanted to go go party with your girlfriend at the time and you're like yeah let's go let's go party and and we all passed <laughs> can, we just, can we just stay in your apartment happy birthday <laughs> no thank you <laughs> <laughs> and then I think later that night too, Nat was smoking at the time and he went out for a cigarette down there on the stoop. And so he's down there, he's smoking a cigarette. This is while you're out. And you had like, I think it was like a, it was either a mailbox or like a punch tone dial thing to like dial into an apartment room. Mm -hmm. He's standing out there and then like some dude from the apartment just comes down and stands next to him, <laughs> says nothing. <laughs> but he like stands, stands close enough to Nat to like let Nat know that he's too close. So that, like, walks away a couple steps and he's just standing there and then some stranger walks up off the street and then reaches over to this like dial tone thing or like a mailbox which should be latched to the wall and just like pulls it off the wall drops something in there and then closes it and oh. walks away and then the guy who's standing there opens it back up takes the thing out and walks back into the apartment and I was like fuck I guess I'm done with my cigarette yeah. I'm going back inside <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was a little more more used to it by then, but you know, the the way and the place uh, we grew up so far away from uh, a neighborhood like that in Brooklyn, it was a adaptive experience living yeah. there, <laughs> and you know, gradually learning um, the best ways to to be a part of the neighborhood was very eye opening for me. I remember one of my first experiences there was. Um, I was uh, running late. I had to get to the city for a meeting with the record label. It's just like, fuck, 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 I gotta, I gotta get to the subway. And I'm just like running down the street to get to the subway on, as early as possible. 
and I'm running up behind this guy. And as I'm running up towards the subway, he's on the sidewalk and I'm running up behind him and he turns around and is ready to fight. Yeah. Because you're running up on him. Christmas coming up behind him. Yeah. You know what I did? I didn't know yeah. what he was like, fucking hey, man. Don't you know not to run up to a motherfucker around yeah. here? Don't <laughs> fucking run up behind me. And I was, oh, sorry, I was just trying to get the subway. He's like, you don't do that, man. He was being nice about it. He's like, don't mm-hmm. do that. <laughs> yeah, totally. There were lessons to learn in that neighborhood. All right, let's take another quick break. We had also mentioned previously that Rob wrote and directed a comic called High Level for DC. Mm-hmm. It's an awesome post-apocalyptic look into like a future rampant capitalism. There's a wasteland, there's mutants, there's robots. Dude, it's just it's everything you want. If you're from my generation, it's everything you want yeah. in a sci-fi comic. So it's 2021 yeah, is what right. you're saying. <laughs> Next year, <there's- laughs> Totally. <laughs> you know, like Total Recall, yeah. They Live, Terminator. You know, it's going to be exactly like that next year, I yeah. assume. So Rob also worked with a couple musicians, um, Stephen Alexander Ryan and Justin McGrath. Mm-hmm. And they wrote a soundtrack accompaniment to the book. That's it so cool. totally fits the vibe of like the art style of the film genre that yeah. sort of influenced the art style. It's a synthy sort of like moody score made for the story. Uh, you can order it digitally. They also have a limited run of vinyl, which I already picked up. I'm super oh, excited for it to get yeah. sent. Again, this is at bandcamp.com. So look for S-A-R-A-N-D-J-M. That's SAR and J-M dot bandcamp.com and you can pick it up yourself or you can just go to rob's website he's got uh links to that yeah 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 yeah. it might be easier yeah so here's a track from the high level soundtrack called high priest For some reason, when anyone asks like crazy tour stories, it's not usually like you know strippers and blow with with yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's usually <laughs> a practical joke involving farts or uh, or a shit story. Yeah, you know, there's there's just so many like bad situations you end up with on tour, and I feel like everyone's got a terrible shit story because specifically there's a rule the number one rule the first thing they tell you i know this now yeah i'm this young kid i've never been on tour before and and i'm joining a bunch of tour veterans who have been through the weeds on this and they tell you to say it they tell you say it here it goes really like really seriously like not funny they tell you (laughs) real fucking seriously 
you do not shit on the tour bus. There are two rules. You don't get sick. Like you don't be the guy who gives everyone a cold. And they also had a tradition of like the sock party that they put um, soap in socks and like hit you with s- socks oh, if you got fun. sick. That's called hazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, to shame you. <laughs> yeah. No, because it, it's a fucking serious, serious like multi-million dollar liability if someone gets really sick and has to cancel shows. You know, so everyone, That's true. you know, you got to take care of yourself. But the main rule is you can't shit on the tour bus. Don't shit on the tour bus. I feel like maybe by now, you know, I haven't toured in a while, but I feel like maybe by now that must have changed because my wife and I have a motorhome and you can absolutely shit in it. That's like one of the main features of it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's fine. <laughs> like it's designed for that. It wouldn't work if you couldn't shit in it. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the technology has gotten better. But back then, it was a universal tour-wide rule. This wasn't our tour. This was every fucking tour. Yes. Everyone who'd ever toured yes. knew this rule. You do not shit on the tour bus. Now, when you combine that with like long, long months of festival tours across Europe with uh-huh. eating whatever the German catering companies prepared at backstage at the festival in Dusseldorf that night mm. and you hadn't slept in days and you got to get on a rickety bus to drive to the next city. It's not a good for your system. Everyone's yeah. struggling a little bit in the stomach department sometimes and there's a lot of stories about emergencies and about yeah. problems. People trying to deal with their very um, disrupted systems, but also to adhere to the golden rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't you? Mm-hmm. Tour bus. So we're in Germany, you know, and we're deep into a festival tour. Festival tours are especially grueling over there because it's not your show you know it's not yeah you're not in control as much yeah. You, yeah you're stuck in different conditions every night you have different food all the time you don't control the schedule and we'd finished a long grueling show and had to drive overnight to another one long 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 overnight drive everyone couldn't wait to get on the bus and get the fuck to bed and just get this long drive over with and get to the next show Everyone was exhausted, and we had plenty of time after the show. Everyone knew, you know, you got to do whatever you got to do because there's, there's, no, there's no bathroom options for a while. I was driving all night. So we get on the bus, and everyone just wants to call it a night, and we're hanging out for a little bit. And in Europe, they have these double-decker buses. Mm-hmm. There's, there's two stories on the tour bus. They, they don't do mm-hmm. that in the States, really, but in, in Europe, it's really common. So we had this double-decker bus, and this one was a really, like, fancy one where Trent actually had his own kind of, like, room in the back of the upper level. Oh, fuck. He had, like, a bed back there, and he had, like, a little station where he could work on music, and he had his own bathroom. There were two bathrooms in this bus. Motherfucker. <laughs> it was, this was one of, the, like, the coolest tour buses we lucky. ever had in Europe. He had his own bathroom he's not allowed to shit in. So like, Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there was also kind of a hangout area upstairs, so we were all hanging out watching TV, and we'd driven for about an hour through Germany after the show, and we'd stopped for a, a, a fuel refill at like the last gas station in existence in like the rural middle of nowhere Germany. And that was the last chance, you know? We'd driven for a little while after that, and everything seemed okay, and then all of a sudden my stomach just started cramping up in knots and i'm like there's a problem and and everyone's pissed at me now because i'm like i I don't know guys we need to we got to go somewhere they're like dude the last gas station was a half hour backwards no one wants to 
fucking turn around for you right now? Why the fuck didn't you go to the bathroom back in that show? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know? And so, <laughs> and so everyone's mad at me already. And they're like, just fucking deal with it, man. No one wants this. Like, okay, 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 okay. But it's getting worse. You know, I'm sitting there. My stomach's just cramping so hard. I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is an emergency. But I'm trying to hold it together, you know, because I don't yeah. want to be the guy. Like, no one wants to be the guy. It, like, derails everything. And I'm just sweating. <laughs> getting hot. I'm like, this is problem. This is problem. This is problem. And finally, it got so bad. I'm like, okay, okay. So, so this is okay. I gotta. I'm sorry. I gotta. I gotta go to the bathroom. And I'm upstairs already. So I'm like, but I didn't need a bathroom right now. I couldn't even like. I was so cramped up. I couldn't even handle the idea of walking down the stairs. There was no. <laughs> there's nothing around. We're in the middle of a rural highway in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m. There's nowhere to go. It's winter and it's raining and it's a nightmare. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what to do. And they're like, dude, come on. Don't shit on the bus. You can't shit on the bus. You know you can't shit on the bus. Okay. And I've heard stories about people using bags. <laughs> hot bag. <laughs> hot bag. Hot bag. Yeah. And so, and so I'm, I'm panicking and I'm like, is there a bag or something? And, I, I, and Trent's like, oh, come on. Not in my bathroom. I'm like, it's the one next to me. I got to go with this one. I got to go. <laughs> and they're like, get a fucking bag. Don't shit in their bag. And everyone's screaming at me. And I just <laughs> look around and there's no bags. There's no fucking anything. And I finally find this padded manila mailer envelope there's there's so much pressure everyone's so mad furious that i might shit in his bathroom yeah and and all the only thing i could find is this padded manila envelope (laughs) so i just i go into the bathroom and just like what the fuck man and i and i do what i put the i put the, the (laughs) <laughs> the least the least helpful possible bag <laughs> to, try, to try an emergency shit in. You know, like, you're trying to hold the envelope yeah. open in the right way. <laughs> Just des- and knowing that like your boss has a big show tomorrow. And this, yeah. this is his like space to rest in. Yeah. And you're trying really hard not to make a disaster in, in the fucking bus. And I, and I pulled it off. I did it. I, I, I pulled pull it off. off. It, it, it was painful. It wasn't pretty, whatever. But everyone's still <laughs> screaming at me, right? Because I still now have an envelope. Yeah. Full of seal that one yeah. up and yeah. mail it home. <laughs> yeah, put that shit in the mailbox. Man. I, I don't know. You know, some people who are used to the comforts of Western society might not understand that there's water in toilets for a reason. It yeah. has <laughs> a lot of the smell. So. Yeah. Yep. By not shitting into any sort of water, I'm already making a big fucking problem for everyone on this bus. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. <laughs> and so as I emerge from the bathroom with an envelope, not sure what to do with it, Trent's screaming, get it the fuck off the bus! <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I, I don't know. And then everyone's just like, get rid of it. Jesus Christ, throw it out the window or something. And it's at that moment that I look at the envelope and realize where it's from and what why it happened to be sitting around on the bus. Uh-huh. It was a sample of some kind of merch item that had been mailed out to us um, at the show in Germany because we needed to check something out. Uh-huh. Specifically, it had been mailed to me. So this envelope <laughs> has Rob Sheridan written on the outside of it in huge black Sharpie. My full name, 
and I just now realized this, and I look at him like, oh my god, I, I can't, wait, does someone have a pen? Can I scribble this out or something? And everyone's oh, just no. screaming at me, get the fuck off the bus! And I'm like, no, please, can I just write that? I'm like, no, throw it away! Someone's Someone's opening the window, being like, throw uh, it out, throw it out. I'm like, okay, <laughs> fuck. So I throw it out the window, and somewhere in rural Germany on the side of the road, there is an envelope that says <laughs> Rob Sheridan on the outside of it, and it's filled with shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> if only there was a good German Samaritan that would have mailed that to you. I hope no one ever found it because I'd feel really bad. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I'm sure there have been many impressive hot bags over the year, but none. None. Had the name of the person yes. bagging yeah. into it at the time. Not just anyone's name. The actual name of the person <laughs> who did it, who had to litter it on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Oh, that's amazing. And that was one of my darkest tour experiences. <laughs> that's great. And now everyone knows, Rob. Now everyone knows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get out of here, I know you now. You're you're sort of out the other end of the tunnel of the the rock and roll lifestyle, mm-hmm. as am I. And I'm lucky enough to know your wife. She's great, wonderful person. You guys met on tour, right? We did. We met actually 15 years ago. And um, you know, on tour, traveling around the world, we'd go out every night. We'd be around a lot of different people. We I made a lot of friends on tour, like at a bar in Edmonton, uh, Canada freezing mm-hmm. cold weather i met um this girl and her sister who were really fun and we started talking about star trek and they were like oh you want to like we can show you like the cool places hang out here and, and we ended up going out with them and their friends and had a really fun night and it was just funny because we were talking about star trek the whole time and she became a friend who would like you know talk to her here and there and i'd be like oh hey we're gonna be in switzerland and she's like, oh, I happen to be like traveling around Europe because her, her dad was a pilot. So she would spend a lot of time just going through hostels around oh, the country because she could travel yeah. for free. She's like, oh, I'm going to be in Europe. Uh, yeah, let's get together. And we'd occasionally just meet up and like meet in a random bar and have drinks and talk about Star Trek and nerdy shit like that. And then go our separate ways. It was just this kind of cool like pen pal relationship mm-hmm. kind of yeah. thing. Like an in real life pen pal thing where we could yeah. actually like sync up here and there. And there's just a cool person I know. She was a, a musician and just like a smart, interesting person. And then we didn't really talk for a while and didn't um, hear from her. And she went on her separate ways and I went on mine. And, you know, she wasn't on social media. She didn't have Facebook or anything like that. So I didn't know what she was doing. And I, I kind of heard through the grapevine that she had gotten married and I'd gotten married and we we're doing our own lives. And years later, like, things were in a very different place. I hadn't seen her for seven years and randomly in the waning years of my time in LA, mm-hmm. I was just sitting around and watching TV and Star Trek came on and it was a Data episode. Mm-hmm. Data was her favorite character. And it just made me think of my old friend and I took a photo of the screen and texted it to her. And she like writes back suddenly, she's like telling me all this shit of like how she's going through a divorce. And she's like, fuck man, life's so weird. And like everything's changed and I haven't seen you forever. Like you wanna get together for New Year's? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I got nothing going on for New Year's. Come to LA. She came down and it was like lightning struck. And then nice. we both decided to sell our houses and leave our lives and just fucking buy an RV and travel for a few years and just like change our whole lives uh-huh. and, and ended up settling uh, down back here. 
up in the Northwest. and Which I am very grateful for. Yeah. <laughs> Super happy to have you back in yeah, the neighborhood. Man. It's awesome, man. I, I really never quite took to L.A., and I, and I really missed a lot of what we uh, grew up with here in the Northwest, and I'm fucking stoked to be back here. And, and now we just kind of, like, hang out, and I write comics and, and make art, and, and Steph helps me with the, with the art and the business side of things, and we, we're just doing a cool, like, quiet little nice thing up here. It's going great. And awesome. It's a nice evolution from all those years of crazy tour life. So cool. I love that you guys met on tour. That's so yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Not, nothing I ever expected to become what it did, you know? Yeah, and you're not currently working with Nine Inch Nails, but you're definitely working. Tell us about what you're working on and what people can do to check out the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, my last like uh, really big project was uh, moving into writing. I wrote a, a comic book for DC Vertigo called High Level. Mm-hmm. Post- it's so sick. Post-apocalyptic so thing. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Um, which was uh, a really awesome experience. And as I worked towards the next uh, thing in that world, I've been doing a ton of uh, art and we just opened up a merch store where we're making um, t-shirts and all kinds of weird shit that has some like glitch art on it. I, I sit in a cave and fuck with broken VCRs and make weird art with oh, it. Oh, sweet. And so, awesome. uh, yeah, if you want to check out my work, it's at rob-sheridan.com. And I'm hoping to work with John eventually on something. Cause Ooh, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> love to collaborate on video games or something. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we got some crossover there for sure. Well, Rob, Rob, thank you so, so much for spending an evening talking to us. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks, guys, for letting me just tell you some really uh, scatological stories for a couple hours. <laughs> well, shit. shit. That was a lot of, uh, as Rob said, scatological stories. Uh, but I do, I am super stoked that we actually finally got a real hot bag story. Uh, you know... <laughs> We, we talked about hot bagging in our first episode, and it has been a uh, a long, strange trip. Every every once in a while, people mention it, you know. Yeah. You don't shit on the bus. It is true. It's like it's like a universally understood law in the tour bus yeah. world. And this is like, <laughs> yeah. I've never toured in a bus, so I don't know this. But this is Me neither. every <laughs> single guest we've had who's been on yes. a bus says, you don't shit on the bus. <laughs> what is the law? Uh-huh. Don't shit on the bus. Yeah. Thanks again to Rob. Check out everything he's doing at rob-sheridan.com. Thanks again to our sponsors, Georgetown Music and Isotope. We have a lot of fun interviews coming up. Some new stuff, different stuff. Just like this Rob Sheridan thing, we're trying to keep things fresh and keep peppering in the heavy rock. We've got some really really fun. Two of my favorite bands of all time. I'm so stoked about that. I'm not even going to give it away. Yeah. So definitely keep along with us, please. Yes. Because it's going to be worth it. I swear to God. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm so excited for what we still got in the pipe. <laughs> Me too. And I'm so excited for what we haven't recorded yet, but we've just been talking. With, uh, whatever. Whatever. It'll be good. It'll be great. Anyways, if you've been liking the show so far, kindly take a minute. Give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thanks. so much. We live in a city of craze. Tear it down and build it up again. Tomorrow We Die is sponsored by Georgetown Music. A musician-owned shop independently operated by folks deeply rooted in the Pacific Northwest live music scene. Your community-oriented source for new, used, and vintage instruments, as well as all the supplies that go with them. They're now at their new home in Burien, Washington. Visit them at 232 Southwest 153rd Street, Burien, Washington. Check out new deals at georgetownmusicstore.com. That's all one word, of course. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram to get all the latest arrivals. Or just call them at 206 602 4324 
And you know what, Jeff? Yeah. I already bought some stuff from them. You did. I, I did too. I bought an awesome guitar from Georgetown Music. Uh, I'm so jealous. It was all online. So you can do this anywhere in America, probably globally. Yep. So yeah, don't be worried about living in Seattle and not being able to check them out. Their inventory is great. I have a guitar from them. I did it all online during COVID, even though they're like a mile away from <laughs> And they got curbside pick. Yep. And, yeah. you know, Georgetown Music is our first sponsor. So we're officially sold out. And that's just the way that it is from here on out, John. And Georgetown Music is run by your former bandmate, Brent Carpenter. It is. The drummer for Bloodhag and the guitar player in The Grindy Low, which is another great Seattle band. And so if you want to support a Seattle artist, musician, business owner. Just fucking do it. That's the way to do it. Just, just fucking do it. Just do it. <laughs> don't give me money, Amazon. You don't do that. No, 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 no. Don't do that. We need music stores. We need instrument stores. We need mom and pop computer stores. We need all that <laughs> stuff. That's just the best way to go. Yeah, you know, when my amp breaks, I can't ship it to Amazon and have them fix it. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> but you can take it into Georgetown Music and they'll get it worked on for you. That's right. This show is about touring musicians telling incredible stories from their lives as they remember them. Humans are generally pretty great, but we all know that memory fades over time and that in the moment, people interpret situations differently based on their personality, background, state of mind, drugs they were on, intoxication level, etc., etc. The important thing to get across here is that at no point should these stories be considered hard facts or perfectly accurate portrayals of real events. If by some chance you were there for something that was talked about on this show or know someone who was and heard a different side of the story. If you feel we've been inaccurate or misrepresentative in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out. Help us set the record straight. Tomorrow we die podcast at gmail.com. We'll read everything. And to any road warriors out there who might be listening, we want to hear your stories too. If you have a crazy moment from the road you want to share with us, then please drop us a line on email. Write it up as succinctly as possible, please. We don't want to read your autobiography. And if we have the time, we'll read it on a future episode. Feel free to plug yourself in the band as well. Again, the email address is tomorrow we die podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And I'm John Wisniewski. And this is Tomorrow Tomorrow We We Die. Die. Find us on the internet. Our website is www.tomorrowwediedie.com. And remember, that's two W's, T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-W-E-D-I-E.com. On Twitter, we're at Tomorrow We Die PC. Instagram, at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Facebook page is at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Our email address is tomorrowwediepodcast at gmail.com. And the show is published on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Podcasts produced by Jeffrey M. McNulty at the Pachinko Parlor in Seattle, Washington. Additional editing by Joe Plummer and Chris Deary. Background music is by Noel Frequency Impulsor. Tomorrow We Die is produced in partnership with Ruinous Media. Check out the rest of the Ruinous Media family at ruinousmedia.com and on all the major social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening.